of the travel podcast which is part of our travel and learn series. I'm your host in this episode Nalini Elvin de Souza and we'll be talking to one person who I personally admire for the way he traveled and travels the world. His name is Consal Cadil. It's so nice to speak to you after so many many years. We met in Goa. Do, do you remember when we met in Goa for the first time, Gonzalo? <laughs> not, not, not quite sure, but I think it would be like 2007 when I went there uh, to film the documentary on Magellan's life and trips. And uh-huh. uh, so that, that documentary was released in 2008 in the National Broadcast Company in Portugal, RTP. So I was, I was filming it in 2007, so I would say that's when I met you. But I, I, I had met before your, your aunt, your uncle. So they, they introduced me to you, that's how I got to meet you. Um, so I met them in 2003. Maite, Maite and I. Oh, really? I can't remember that first meeting. Must have been brief. Wow, what a memory, Gonzalo. And uh, then we met again when you were doing another documentary, Geografia das Amizades. Do you remember? So it was a travel documentary, but the idea was uh, to shift uh, perspective, not from the guy who is doing the documentary, but from the people who live in the places he goes. So what I, what I did, I asked 10 friends around the world, the documentary had 10 episodes, and I asked 10 friends to uh, give me some of that time and show me how they live everyday life in destinations that we usually dream of going as tourists. So let's see what does it mean to be a local in those destinations. So I had you introducing our audience to Goa. I had a friend from Hawaii, from the island of Kauai, Uh, who is a, he's a, a surfer and uh, he goes trekking regularly, so he has a very nice lifestyle. I had uh, a, um, a friend from Oaxaca in Mexico. Anyway, so all these places around the world and each documentary, each episode would show us these amazing places, but through the perspective of the local who lives there. The eyes of a local. Yeah. I was searching on the net and this was in 2010, I found a promo video and I will keep a link in the show notes for the city Geografia das Amizades. And then I went again, I, I went again to Goa in 2010 uh, for another documentary on the 500 years of uh, the birthday of Fernão Mendes Pinto. So I saw you again on that occasion. This is the part of your documentaries connected to travel, but traveling also inspired you to write books. You have written so far 14 books, correct? Yes. Any of these books were translated in English? No. Anyone who would like to translate these books in English, please contact me. We have to do it, Consal. Yeah, well, maybe they're a bit specific to the 
Portuguese audience, at least uh, not all of them, but many of them relate to the Portuguese history. I try to reenact, to redo uh, some of the trips that our national heroes have done 500 years ago, so or even longer than that. So probably it's not so much appealing to a foreign audience, a foreign uh, reader, but uh, yeah. But there are books like Planisferio Pessoal, which talks about your journey around the world and not using any air transport, no aeroplanes, which is very uncommon in today's world. Yes, I think uh, it could, could still be very interesting. Even if uh, when, when, I, when I did that trip, as the world has changed so much, so maybe it's a little uh, outdated, but yeah, it's still a great travel book because my, my project was to uh, go around the world without using airplanes. So I was taking cargo ships to cross the oceans and then just, you know, uh, hitchhiking or taking public transport to connect from one port of disembark to the other port. So for, for instance, I, I took a cargo from Europe, from, from Spain, because I couldn't find one from Portugal. So I went to Valencia in Spain and took a cargo ship to New York. Wow. That was December 2002. And then I had another cargo from Chile to Australia on June 2003. So it was like six months that I had somehow to connect from New York to Chile without taking airplanes. I was not flying at all. So I just went down Central and South America. And then actually when I got to Chile, the, the, the trip was cancelled, the cargo didn't go at all. So I had to go back uh, to Panama, where eventually in September 2003, I had another cargo going to New Zealand. And uh, in, yeah, then I had to wait one month in New Zealand for another cargo to China. And then from China, <laughs> I, I had uh, that, so I arrived in China sometime January, I think January. 2000, 2004, and I had uh, the, my last cargo ship from uh, Jakarta to Mumbai. So I, I just went from China all the way through Southeast Asia to Jakarta, where I got this fourth and last cargo to Mumbai. And from Mumbai, still not taking any flights, I went through Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Turkey back to Europe, back home. So that, that was. 19 months but the thing about that trip that made it so interesting is that i was uh, publishing every week on a weekly newspaper in portugal espresso i was publishing it's 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 a, it's a magazine so it's got a color color photos and uh, the moment when i did that trip was actually the first time i think it was possible to go around the world and on a regular basis sent sent to a newspaper text and photos through email but because before that emails were not i mean not emails but internet connections were still very uh, very scattered so when i started the trip in in december 2002 i knew it was possible to find at least once a week a place where i could connect to the internet actually the cyber cafe that i think they no longer exist the cyber cafe but yeah. And the book that, that I have published out of that trip is actually the collection of all the, 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 um, all the papers all the, that I submitted weekly 
of the reportage that I submitted weekly to the newspaper Espresso. When you read the book, you've got that that uh, um, that problem. Where will I find my next internet point? Will I make it to the next internet point in order to? Uh, I have I have this this deadline. So which was actually every Friday, I had to send it to the newspaper, and it would be published the Saturday. Not, a, not the next Saturday, the Saturday, the, the other week. So I was sending my material on Fridays and uh, it would be published seven days later, eight days later on the Saturday edi edition. And, and the thing is that most people in Portugal that were following the, the trip uh, felt it was in, on real time. You know, it's funny because back then, eight, uh, eight days decalage, eight days difference would be considered Real time and today, real time is like in Instagram. Yeah, it's even before things have happened; they are already being, you know, posted on on Instagram. So, yeah, that that trip had a very particular moment uh, that makes it uh, so appealing, in my opinion, or oh, it made it so appealing when when it happened. Is that the people were reading the newspaper and actually, I was going through all those things, all those problems and adventures and episodes and encounters and people are reading about it in the same period like the next week and for the world as it was back then next week was considered real time so yeah that was uh, that may be very popular in Portugal no one had ever thought about first about going around the world without airplanes and then uh, publishing on, on a weekly basis what was happening in that same period so uh, uh, that that trip changed my life that project changed my life because I became very very well known in Portugal as a travel journalist as an author and that opened many doors for books and documentaries and uh, well whatever um, conferences so yes that that trip changed my life so all the documentaries we were talking a while ago happen after this trip? Yes, yes, I, that, that trip, as I said, happened between 2002 and 2004, but I started my career in 1993, so that's almost 30 years. And uh, in the 90s, I was basically just freelancing. I would go on long trips and then back to Portugal and I would go knocking on every newspaper and magazine door knocking on their door and just showing the trips I've been doing. And uh, because the thing is that you didn't even have, uh, you know, email in the 90s. So I had to take pictures, the, the, the slides, and I would go back to Portugal and show the editors of all these magazines what, what my project, what my, my reportage was all about, and they would buy it or not. So I spent the 90s traveling like this, going on trips with money I just received from previous reportage and you know but the wheel kept moving and it like a snowball it kept growing growing and uh, uh, I started publishing in the best uh, best newspapers and best magazines in Portugal so I was getting quite well known in in the milieu I mean in in the newspaper in the journalist uh, circles but uh, not to the general public they would maybe read a, a reportage about a trip to whatever South Africa but they wouldn't really notice who had written it 
But with that trip that I mentioned uh, around the world without airplanes, the Planisferio Pessoal book, with that trip I really became well known. And then, you know, it's been, it has been a roller coaster. <laughs> I've been very, very happy and very lucky with uh, the way my life has been going on. Why avoid airplanes? Why did you take this decision right from the start? Well, you know, nothing against uh, traveling on airplanes. I do it regularly. What happened is that uh, I really wanted to go on a round-the-world trip. I, I, I year back in my hometown, which is a very good uh, spot, a very good place for surfing. And I had, in the 80s, I grew up surfing and meeting these Australians, these South Africans, New Zealanders and uh, Californians. They They were all going on a round-the-world trip, uh, which included Portugal, because of the good good, good surfing we, we have here. And uh, so I grew up like a 14, 15 years old, looking to these big, blonde Australian surfers. And they all mentioned this thing, you know, the round-the-world, round-the-world. But what they were doing is very common. It's just, you just have to buy a round-the-world ticket and choose your destinations. So when I, uh, years later, when I approached the idea of a round-the-world trip for, uh, um, for a literary project. I wanted it to be a book, but also a weekly uh, reportage for many months. I didn't want that round-the-world trip to be another, one more round-the-world trip like most gap years do these days, you know. So I didn't want to fly because that's what most people do when they finish college or when they have like a, a sabbatical year or a... Uh, or they lose their jobs before they start looking for a new one. So they just go on a round-the-world trip, they buy the, the airplane tickets, and I didn't want that. I, I wanted something that was, you know, uh, original. And I knew that actually you can uh, cross the oceans on cargo ships. You can. You just have to find the, r the right companies that will accept passengers and you, you just buy your ticket. So I, I knew that uh, this trip had to be original, it had to be different. And uh, when I went to the newspapers to look for a sponsor, to look for someone who would publish it, uh, some newspaper, I, I, I had the idea uh, of not taking uh, flights to make it really original, really different. Yeah. So I have nothing, I'm not afraid of flying. I have nothing, I, 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 I fly regularly. But for that book, for that project, I really wanted to exclude uh, flying. I'm very curious about one of your books that I did not read, but it is called A Vida é Fácil. In English, would have been Life is Easy. Is it so? Correct title is not the Vida, it's the world. The world is easy. Ah, Mundo é Fácil. Well, it's still a catchy title. Can you explain what is it about? Maybe our listeners, those who know Portuguese, might like to read it. It's a book full of uh, tips for traveling as a backpacker around the world, uh, which basically that that is the only book I, I have written that it's not uh, it's not stories, you know, it's it's just a, a bunch of ideas and tips and uh, um, well and uh, suggestions on how to travel. Uh, with your backpacks, spending as little money as possible, uh, where to go, uh, how to cook your food, things like that. So, yeah, it's basically, the, there's a subtitle to that book, which, is, which says, learn how to travel as a backpacker. 
is it basically yeah. so uh, yeah that book uh, we, it came out 10 years ago in Portugal so it has been teaching Portuguese uh, young people for 10 years uh, how to go around the world and spending as little money as possible yeah and one of the newest projects is Viagem com Autos can you explain what it means traveling with an author well the idea came uh, uh, on a meeting I had with this tour operator called Pinto Lopez, which is the surname of the founder, Pinto Lopez. And, um, well, basically the idea is to move, move away from uh, the concept of celebrity trips, which we don't have in Portugal, but uh, I know it's becoming a little, a little bit um, popular. So you, some, some tour operators will invite a celebrity uh, public figure to go on a trip just to make that trip uh, notorious but uh, we ask um, celebrities but of course authors not not just you know a pin up star or girl or whatever so someone who's got a who's got a um, um, very clear ideas what they want to do on a trip and uh, the, the, the tour operator uh, will will sell this trip with this person to the client. So what I'm trying to say is that uh, if you really want, if you really like classical music, on on our uh, on our program, you have a very well known Portuguese maestro. His name is Rui Macena, and he takes clients on a trip that he has conceived. He's as authored. To uh, in this case, of course, he's a master of classical music. So you will take clients, a group of people, to uh, attend uh, operas and classical concerts in venues all around the world, and they will explain before they go on onto the onto the, the the theater. They will explain what they are going to listen. So it's like a, I would say a master class, but a master class traveling. We have another another example. We've got a Michelin star chef. So his name is Enrique Sapso. He's been awarded a two-star Michelin on his restaurant. And he will take a group of clients to some regions in France or in Italy or to some, um, some famous restaurants. And he will explain what people are eating. So it's basically a trip based on gastronomy and wines. José Luis Peixot, he, made a, he wrote a book about a trip he had done to North Korea, North Korea some years ago, so he's got a, this trip following his book. Uh, so people go with him to North Korea uh, or to Thailand, another, another destination he has written about. And in my case, uh, well, we've got we've got an author that probably people in Goa will know, uh, Raquel Ochoa. She won a, a very important literary prize a few years ago with a book she wrote about a family coming from Goa. The book name is called Casa Comboio. I don't know if it's translated. And the book is about a family in Goa. So she she's got this uh, trip to Portuguese India. What what uh, remains of the cities in India that once belonged to the Portuguese. So that's that's her, her, her trip, her itinerary. And in my case, it's, well, from all the books I wrote, I, I have different itineraries, quite a few, so yeah.
it's 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 well this year was was very strange as you as you know but uh yeah the project the the idea is, has become quite strong in tourism in portugal so we're go, we do we are doing good with this idea did you manage to do anything before march 2020 very curiously i did an, an extraordinary trip just before the world shut down and uh as, as you probably know uh this year and next year and the year before for three years uh, the world is celebrating the 500 years of magellan round the world trip so that trip took almost three years and it happened in 1519 Uh, with with the, the Pinto Lopez tour operator, we did actually a round the world trip celebrating Magellan. That was one month. We started in 20, the 23rd of January and uh, we, we came back the 23rd of February. So basically, as we moved along, uh, this pandemic thing was just growing and growing. And so we just got back to Portugal. We didn't have a clear idea what was going on because we were traveling all the time and we couldn't really relate to, you know, it's different when you are, you, you are watching the news every day in your own country, but uh, we were just traveling, not getting a grip of what, what was going on. But anyway, it, anyway, I went for a round, a full round world trip uh, in January, February before, before the pandemic. Uh, thing and uh, with with 20, 20 clients 20 travelers from the the tour operator that that was the big trip i did just before the lockdown and uh just recently i went to italy and uh that was in october october wow i went there in october very good friends like family there so i was really happy They, they, some of them are now very old, but uh, still, still, still alive and well. And, uh, and I was really happy to reconnect with them, see them again. And who knows when, when I will be back there. It's like family to me, so it was really important for me to, to see them again. And now you are back. Yeah, last week I was uh, in Madeira Island, which is a Portuguese island territory, so I didn't really go out of the country, but uh, it's still very different feel because uh, Madeira is, you know, in the middle of the Atlantic, a different climate, uh, different uh, feel to the, to the land, and uh, the surfing there is, is extraordinary, so I was able to stay there for one week before, again, these things start collapsing because everything is closing down in again in Europe in Portugal so yeah I'll think I'll be so this is the season for surfing in Madeira for Madeira and for Portugal as well so I might as well just stay home and uh, and uh, go through this lockdown surfing every day down the road yeah <laughs> I can't complain <laughs> well we cover most of your activities around traveling the books the documentaries The new project, Travel with an Author, anything I forgot to mention? You know, usually people ask me how many countries I've been to, things like that. And I always tell them uh, it doesn't really matter how many countries you go because that's not what makes 
a great traveler is not the number of places you've been it i think what makes a great traveler is a totally different set of things but uh and then i tell them that uh i really like to places countries where i probably will never go in my life i'm not interested and there are places where i'm always happy to go back to so and i always mention goa as an example in India uh, also so I definitely prefer to go back many times in my life to go to India instead of just making tick lists you know on countries or destinations oh, so nice to know that you know that Goa is my home now before we end did you ever had any problem with languages while traveling well the, the you know problem is not a good word for the question of uh, communication because uh, there's there's a saying I like very much uh, about traveling and about communication the saying goes like this if a problem doesn't have a solution and well it's not a problem at all it means that if you cannot solve it it it's not a problem it's don't don't waste your time trying to change and the thing with communication is that when you don't speak the language it's not a problem it's just the type of traveling that becomes different so when you can connect and talk and communicate it's one way of traveling but if you cannot it's a different one uh, but it's all it's all traveling you know and uh, the, the thing is that when you travel to a far off destination and you find someone who speaks English Probably it means that you just found someone who is educated, who belongs to the middle upper class and uh, is probably into the same things that you are. Like you will listen to the same music, you will see the same Hollywood movies. So the question is, you went around the world to talk about the same things you talk when you are with your friends at home. So my, my question is, is it better to find someone who speaks English in a far off destination but in the end, it's got yeah, the same mindset you've got, or is it better to no communication at all, but really, really you've got to the place where no one understands you, so that's like traveling used to be. So, you know, uh, both ways are, 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 are okay. Uh, I remember some years ago, I used to go almost on a yearly basis to... Uh, to a floating hut, floating hut made of wood, and in the middle of the in of, 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 um, in the middle of a few islands in the Indian Ocean near Sumatra, because the surfing there is so good. And so I would go and stay with these fishermen who live in this floating hut, just to fish and and sell the fish to Singapore. And you know they were just fishermen; they they didn't speak not not even. Indonesian, which is the official language, they they could only speak the local dialect. So I would spend weeks at a time without communicating at all with them, but everything would go just smoothly, you know. We we could just smile, and I would go surfing, they would go fishing. I would help with money and food for to pay for my staying there, and I I never thought it was a problem to be there without communicating. Well, our time is up. Gonçalo Cadilha, thank you so much for this interview. We hope he inspires you the same way he inspired me. I will keep a link to Gonçalo's page on the show notes in case you want to know more about his documentaries and books. See you soon!